0: Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. So good to have you. Look at you there, sitting there on your computer or your phone or in your car. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're laying out in the sun. It is gorgeous today in Toronto. It's like 32 degrees Celsius. Oh, geez. Uh, that's like 92, maybe, Fahrenheit. I don't know. I don't have my converter in front of me. But regardless, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, A a podcast where I talk to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a professional rock and roll band, or in this case, hardcore band. Uh, Wow, today's episode is awesome. One of my favorites I have ever done. John Joseph McGowan of Cro-Mags is here. And man, this episode, I mean, I just... I was trying to edit it, <laughs> and I just looked, and I was just like, nah, there's no editing. Let's just let this shit roll. Uh, he, wow, he talks about a lot of things. He really digs in to his ex-bandmate, Harley. They're not going to be on the same stage uh, for probably ever. I mean, <laughs> it is, wow, it is a crazy beef that those guys have with each other within that band. Um, if you don't know about John Joseph and the Chrome Eggs. They're one of the most essential and most important hardcore bands ever of all time And in 1986 when the Age of Quarrel came out That's their, their big debut record Nobody had really ever combined metal and hardcore punk together No one had done that before And it's hard to say what would have happened without that influence Another big influence that they had was uh, they were Harry Krishna, or John was Harry Krishna at least. And there were a few other New York hardcore bands that were, Shelter being one of them. And a big part of that religion is veganism. And as a lot of you guys know, veganism, vegetarianism is an important part of hardcore of punk rock. It has been for a long time. And he'll downplay it a little bit in the interview. He'll talk still say that Bad Brains was the first and you know their religion and stuff and, and animal rights. But I really think that Chrome Eggs with the combination of veganism and vegetarianism and also just metallic hardcore basically inventing it really, really paved the way for all kinds of bands. I mean, you think about, like, Earth Crisis and you think about that whole scene. Uh, I don't think they would be nearly where they are without Cro-Mags, and that's—I <laughs> mean, that's my opinion. So, man, that's the first thing about John. There's so many other things. He wrote a book about 10 years ago talking about his early life— his crazy early life, being an abusive family, being in and out of foster homes, eventually living on the streets of New York at age 14, fending for himself, <sighs> selling drugs, hanging out with drug dealers. It, this is just the craziest, craziest story, and definitely check out his book. It's There's a new edition now available as an audiobook, if you're into that sort of thing. I mean, if you're into this, you're probably into audiobooks, right? Uh, also as a paperback. And... uh also digitally as well. So check that out. More things about John. He's on his way to Australia right now, running in a Ironman triathlon. I believe it's his eighth that he's done. Uh, so yeah, he does that too. So a guy with so much going on. What a life story! I can't wait for you to hear this interview. It is definitely one of my favorites. Oh, before I get into that, I want to thank everybody for listening to this. Whether it's your first time listening to the show, whether you've listened to all 82 episodes we have, I really do appreciate that. Thank you for being subscribed to this thing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, your support goes a long way. If you want to get in touch, it's very easy. You can email me, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. We are on all the social media stuff. You can add us on there. Um, And if you want to help out the show, there's a couple ways you can do that. People ask me all the time, Shane, what can I do? I know this costs money. I know it takes your time. There's two things you can do to help. Now, the first one is if you buy anything online at all, anything at all, and you use Amazon, use our Amazon affiliate link. It really is simple. Whatever you buy on Amazon, we get 4 to 6%, and it costs you absolutely nothing. And I don't really know why Amazon does this, but I don't feel bad taking Amazon's money to keep this podcast going at all. So if you're going to use it, just use this link instead. Go to com slash Amazon. It'll take you right to the Amazon homepage. Log in as normal. And whatever you buy, we get 4 to 6%. Like I said, it costs you absolutely nothing. So just don't forget to use the link. I use it myself when I buy things. It's like kind of like a discount. I don't really know. It's, I don't know why they offer it, but I'm not mad at all. So thank you, Amazon, for doing that. Again, the, the link is com slash Amazon. The second way, you can help out the show. First of all, this podcast will always be free. Okay, Don't worry about that. But if one episode a week is not enough for you, if you want more, you can join the All Access Club. And it's as little as $6 a month. You get monthly bonus episodes or more sometimes. You get a QA and a with me every month. You can pick my brain. We talk about podcasts. We talk about music. I play some tunes. We do all that kind of stuff. And also, you get access to the Facebook group where you can hang out with other members of the show. We have a great group there. Shout out to my sinners. Uh, I go on there all the time as well. And if you want lead singer syndrome merchandise, the only way to get it is to be a part of the club. So again, for as little as $6 a month, check it out. There's probably something there that's right for you. And I do appreciate you guys even checking it out. It's leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. What's going on with me, you ask? Oh, that's so nice of you. Well, I'm going to be on the Vans Warped Tour all summer long with Silverstein. It's my seventh stint, if you can believe it. And man, like, geez, 32 degrees today outside was a real reminder of just how hot it's going to be all summer long, which is, oh my God. I, I'm i looking forward to the hangs with all my friends. I'm looking forward to getting some great a podcast done with some of my friends on there Not just lead singers But some other people too For some bonus episodes It's going to be awesome But man, like That heat is just so brutal And it's been such a reminder of it But hey, if you are coming out to Warp Tour Come say hi to me Come say what's up I always love it when people come by and, and, you know, pick my brain about the podcast Or ask me what my favorite episode was Or, you know, I just love that stuff so much So if you see me around Feel free to say what's up. All right, let's get into it. This intro's gone on and on and on. I don't. Man, this just is so entertaining, so good, and so informative. Here it is. My conversation with John Joseph of Cromags. Hello. Hey, is that John? Yeah,
1: what's happening Shane, right?
0: That's right. That's me, man. How uh how's your take on? Doing well, you know. What's happening, bro? Dude, I'm actually in Brazil, if you can believe that. Oh shit, all right. What's going on down here? Yeah, no, I'm here with my band. Uh my band's called Silverstein. We uh we're playing just doing a tour oh, down yeah, here.
1: Silverstein. Yeah. It's
0: so cool. and, 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 and. Yeah, no, no. That's it's... Dope. Yeah, thanks, man. No, it's uh, it's been good. It's been good down here. You guys ever come down t- uh, to Brazil with Cro-Mags? Oh yeah, we've been down there a few times. Brazil, Argentina,
1: Chile.
0: Yeah, no, it's a wild time, man. It's uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's crazy. Like you know, it's just so much different, and uh, they
1: appreciate the bands, man. You
0: know they do. You know, it's actually kind of funny. You know, like we played last night in Argentina, and you know, there's just like you know, people wearing like old school, hardcore t-shirts, you know, in Argentina, like, you know, I'm seeing like bad brain shirts have heart, you know, yeah. that, that hardcore band from Boston. And I'm seeing, um, you know, of course like gorilla Biscus shirts and all these people are just going crazy for, for my band. which is, you know, not really a hardcore band, but it's kind of funny. Like it brings me back a little bit to sort of the, a little bit of the danger, um, that existed, you know, Back in the 1980s, that really doesn't exist anymore in the U.S., but there still is real punk rock down here. I think.
1: Oh yeah, man! It's uh, yeah. you know, you definitely get that vibe down, man, for sure. Uh, especially walking around the streets of San Paulo and, yeah. and and the different places. Uh, I forget. We just uh, in Mexico. Yeah, you know, right. We played Mexico City and. Uh, you know, we were just in Vancouver, and I was like, holy shit, down by Hastings and shit. And I was like, what the fuck?
0: I'm Canadian. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it, it, like, it,
1: it was just fucking, I was like, holy shit, this was like the Bowery in 1980s, 1970s, you know?
0: Yeah, it is wild, I know. Like, uh, uh It's amazing, because, you know, Canada has a, such a clean reputation. Yeah. You know, you, you think of Canada, at least Americans do, but no. <laughs>
1: You know, you won't believe the shit going on here. They're like in Canada? <laughs> you know. I know it's good. Yeah, so uh anyway, yeah man, it's uh definitely a lot different than it was uh, you know, thirty, forty years ago, that's for damn
0: sure. That's right, man. So are you in New York right now?
1: Yeah, I'm in New York. I leave Sunday, uh, for Iron Man, Australia. So we had be heading over there, but uh I'm in the city now. Uh, we just got back from Canada, like, Monday, we did, like, a little one up there, a few, five shows, four shows, five shows. Nice, um, nice. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, working, you know, got the new bands. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, Bud Clot with, uh, five Youth, Joey Castillo from, uh, you know he's been in every band in the world, in Nick Oliveri.
0: So our record comes out July fourteenth, and then uh, that's the same day my band's record comes out, actually. Yeah. So there you go. When you pick up when you pick up the Blood Clot record, pick up the Silverstein record too. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so we we head out on the road with Negative Approach.
0: Nice, Negative Approach. Sick. So, that's uh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be cool. Very cool. So you're headed to Australia to do an Iron Man. That must be crazy. I mean, that's a long trip. I'm sure you've done it quite a few times. But when you get there, do you have a few days, a week? What do you have to recuperate or kind of get ready for that? Um,
1: Well, I get there on the 6th, and I race on the 11th.
0: Okay, so not bad.
1: So that gives me a little bit of... I mean, I did Taiwan, and uh, I landed at night, checked in all my shit the next day, and then I raced the next day, so...
0: Did you uh, find it harder?
1: I mean, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's a kick in the nuts either way, just to do Ironman. man. <laughs> sure, if you're in man. your own fucking town, uh, much less travel to the other side of the fucking world and do it. But, you know, I, I like the extra challenge and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I race for a cause uh, too, so I, I help uh, a, a kid, with, uh, you know, uh, neurofibromatosis, it's uh, tumors all over the body. It's it's a terrible disease, and I raised money for his family. Um, we just did a 10K run last night in New York City called the Chromag Tumor Stomp. Nice. And we had, we had over 100 uh, runners. We raised, I think, somewhere over $4,000. So uh, Well,
0: good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. You
1: know, yeah, yeah, so, you know, it's not just doing the race. It's it's helping, uh, helping this uh, kid and his family with their expenses. And also, you know, I'm turning 55 in a couple months, and it shows people what could be done on a plant-based diet, you know, and, right. and staying clean and sober. And, uh, you know, if, if what I'm doing inspires somebody else to start uh, – Eating better and and uh, taking care of themselves, and you know, to me that's a good thing.
0: Well, that's a great that's a great way to start. I mean, I'd say you know, veganism uh, in hardcore. If I have to say, I mean, Cro-Mags were the start of that. I mean, you were the start of the vegan lifestyle in hardcore. I mean, I can't think of any bands, and a lot of that stemmed from the Harry Krishna. Uh, Part of your life. Well,
1: you got to backtrack before that because actually the Bad Brains were the ones that was doing it before anybody because they were Rastafarians.
2: Sure. That's true, yeah.
1: JW JW produced their first uh, record, and JW was a raw food vegan uh, uh, and had immense knowledge just about food and nutrition and how to you know, heal disease and all kinds of stuff. So that's really where it started when I left the Navy at the end of 80. Uh, Like the beginning of uh, the end of 80, I split and uh, came up, and I was living with them in New York, the Bad Brains at 171A, and then I got a job at a health food store and just started really gaining the knowledge. So when I, you know, I think I did it on a bigger scale and was more serious about it, I think. Absolutely, yes. And I remember, like, people fucking laughing and being like, ha, 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 you know, fucking, yeah, you don't eat meat, you know, but they're not laughing no more because most of those motherfuckers that was laughing now all got serious health problems.
2: Yeah, they're uh, definitely not running Man in Australia.
1: You know, the last 30-something years polluting themselves. But a lot of people in the same breath uh you know they did change and, they, and that's a good thing so um you know i don't ever uh judge anyone if it's not their thing cool you go do your thing i'm gonna do my thing and anybody that wants to listen uh to what i got to say i wrote the book meat is for pussies it's a comedy yeah. thing yes because i had a motherfucker tell me that people don't that don't eat meat is pussies so right. i threw it back in their fucking face you know And it's amazing how they can say whatever they want and put all kinds of bullshit uh, evidence out there. Oh, yeah, you only get good protein and amino acids from animal flesh and all this other bullshit. But the minute you start presenting the real uh, science behind a plant-based diet and throwing the shit back in their face, then if they go, you know, they get their fucking panties in a bunch. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, the book has converted many a fucking hardcore media, and that's because the science is in. If you just apply it, you're going to get the same result that I did, you know, so.
0: Right. Well, I mean, back in the day, in, in the early 80s, you talk about Brad, Bad Brains, which were a special case. I mean, just a special band in general. But the rest of the scene was, I mean, it was kind of macho. There definitely wasn't a lot of yeah, it was veganism meatheads. and there yeah, was a lot of meatheads. Was, come and there on, was,
1: man, you can say it. It was fucking meatheads,
0: and a lot of—I uh, ni- mean—a lot know, of nihilism, a lot of not really giving a yeah, shit about anything.
1: Live fast, die young, bullshit. Till you're laid on the fucking hospital bed with fucking a cancerous colon, and then you know you're like, you know, you you don't talk that bullshit anymore. Uh, you know, yeah, it was a whole nobody really had any real information. Just like when I started doing yoga in fucking 80 and 81 and fucking meditating and doing all this other stuff. It's like now it's like everybody's doing it, but back then it was like, you know, and chanting Hare Krishna and doing whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. I went to live as a monk for almost two years. So, um, you know, just to try to apply, it to my life and get myself in a better place. I mean, from what I went through as a kid yeah. and lock, I spent two years in lockup. I mean, real shit, you know, on the streets in New York, in the drug trade in the seventies, going to punk clubs, just crazy shit involved with angel dust, like insanity. No, I the mean, I forced the home for six years. I mean, the shit we went through, even the I mean that's why I got an honorable discharge after Harley snitched on me for being fucking AWOL uh, when when my lawyer took the shit uh, to court. It's like they fucking were like this dude should have never even been allowed to fucking be in the Navy with like his psychiatric evaluation. I don't
0: know how the <laughs> yeah. fuck he
1: ever got in. So
0: <laughs> well, uh, part of why we're talking is you do have the second edition. Of your book, uh, which I have read. Well, I read uh, most of it. I think when it came out, it's about ten years old originally, right? Um, yeah, we
1: put it out. Yeah, ten years ago, did ten thousand copies.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's uh everybody. I and mean, everybody's got to check I wrote it out.
1: Every, it's everywhere that book. I didn't have somebody else write it.
0: You know, that's impressive. Out,
1: um, that's what everybody's doing now. It's of like course, they say it's their book, and it's like. Motherfucker, you didn't write that book. It's like, you know, I'm a writer. I studied writing under Robert McKee. Like, I've been doing it, uh, you know, for fucking uh, 20-something years, man. Almost 30 years now. So, you know, if you're going to say you wrote a book, you better fucking write the book. You don't have a ghostwriter and then say, yeah, my book's out. It ain't your book. It's somebody else's book that you dictated your fucking stories to. But you know, we did ten thousand copies, and then you know, it, and then we just let it kind of go out of print, and then people started charging three, four, five hundred dollars. Yeah, you know, like somebody was trying to charge a thousand dollars for a signed copy. I'm like, that's bullshit. Uh, so, so I went and updated it and, and put a couple new chapters in there, new photos, and, uh, and and you know, and we did a small run of three thousand books just so people could could get a copy
0: if they wanted and not get ripped off. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, well, I went and, knew, knowing I was going to talk to you, knowing I was going to talk to you, I went back and I, I reread a lot of it, and it struck me just as hard as when I checked it out years ago, If if not in some ways harder for some <laughs> reason, maybe reading it the second time, but the part, you know, that really, the really crazy part is just the shit that you went through in your childhood. And I mean... Yeah. just just starting out with a you know abusive father um a mother who you know had to turn to drugs you know to get away from that yeah. and then ending up in an even more abusive situation um that's yeah. that shit was just so wild i mean
1: uh... i mean you know like it, it, you know like you talk about you know like i co-wrote a hard time like I song a hard times whatever uh it's like my shit started Uh, at the point of conception because my father raped my mother. Like, you know, like she left him, and he fucking broke in and raped her. That's how I was born. While I was in the womb, he was beating the shit out of her. Like, and then leaving the womb, it was the same shit. And then, you know, the state supposedly takes us away from her because she's all fucked up on pills and whatever and couldn't provide for us. To supposedly put us in a safer environment, and they put us with fucking animals yeah. that fucking did the most horrible shit and starved us and, and and just let all kinds of fucked up shit happen to us, and and that's the irony of it. And that's why when I got to St. John's Home for Boys in '76, and I was like, the state failed us, you know. And you know what? I'll take my chances on my own. And I went. I left St. John's Home for Boys. Uh, and, and, and like right after fucking New Year's uh, of January, onto the frozen tundra of Rockaway Beach and hooked up with these chunkies, and yeah, just kept going uh, in, in the evolution of this whole path that I took, and and then getting locked up, and 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 I did 21 months, and 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 then went into the Navy from there because uh, my mother dated this Navy recruited. he was able to hide my fucking all my shit and get waivers and and then meeting the Bad Brains and then that was it I was like all right. right, this is I was always looking for my tribe where I fit in
2: right. and I was... didn't
1: have a family and then when I met the Bad Brains and that whole scene and Henry Rollins and fucking Ian McKay and the whole punk scene in D.C. uh was yeah. like alright
0: you found just, you just, you finally and found then it
1: then, you know one, and one, then coming back, you know coming back to new york uh you know,
0: so you know one thing you you talk about a lot in you know in the early part of your book about is is about your brothers you know your two brothers that were in that horrible situation with you now when you wrote the book originally and and now you know obviously you're you're rewriting it again did you talk to them about hey I, hey guys i'm going to write this book No,
1: actually, what I did was like a lot of, and I'm going to tell you, because I never told any of them, I never told my mother. My mother didn't even know that the book was being written until the press called her.
0: Oh, man. And
1: to verify, because they thought I made that shit up. They thought that fucking that book was made up. They thought the Village Voice and all these papers were like, there's no fucking, because all them fake memoirs came out at the time a million little pieces. And then Uh uh they tried to fucking prove that it was, that it was not real. So what had happened was I would be talking, I have a fucking photographic memory of conversations and all kinds of events that happened and what was said, even as a kid. But then I just was hanging out with them and, um, I never told them I was writing the book And I would bring up stuff and then they would give their recollections like, yo, remember when this happened? So I would have my cell phone or my pay whatever with me. And I would just fucking like leave myself a, a text message. Okay. Like, like when they kept coming up with like shit that happened that I had forgotten some of this stuff. Right. I just would take notes or call my home phone. And be like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, stealing the fish tank, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. And like, or whatever, whatever it was. And I never told them that I was writing this book. And I never told my mother I was writing the book. I just, I I was using this stuff for a movie first. Yeah, okay. The main character's uh, childhood was based on uh, where I went through. So, yeah, they didn't know... Um, that I was uh, writing this book, and neither did my mother. And then I get this call one day, because when I met with the voice dude, he was like, you know, the Village Voice guy, and the other motherfuckers were like, uh, they're like, yo, dude, come on, man, there's no way. Yeah, I was like, yo, I'll give you all the fucking numbers of anybody you, you <laughs> want to fucking call from the military to whoever. I'll give you my mother, my brother, so they're like, he's like, okay, uh, give me the numbers. And wow. he calls up my mom and she's like, he's like, did this happen? Did this? She's like, everything that my son is telling you what you're asking me, that all happened. Yeah. So then she called me up and was like, uh, yeah, I just got uh, a couple of calls from press people about your book. And I was like, That's when I had to tell her, look, ma, you know, this is how I worked my shit out. I didn't go to therapy. I didn't go to shrinks. I didn't take medication. That book that I spent four years writing was how I worked my shit out.
0: And your brothers and your mom were, like, they were cool with that? Or were there some initially where they kind of pissed at you?
1: Well, my young, my, you know, oddly enough, uh, my older brother's like a real tough guy, dude. And uh, so my mother goes... My mother, like, me and her had it out. Like, we were living the end of the book because uh, we had this moment. Um, you know, like, she let this dude that didn't want us around. My mother had a husband. Right, is that Carl? And, uh, no, it was that dude, George McShane. and oh, okay, he yeah, yeah, Everything and emptied out their bank account, took loans against the house. So my mother was homeless. Oh, God. Okay, at fucking whatever years old, this, and I, uh, I got her an apartment and furniture and and set her up, and then one day I get this call and she's like, "I have something to tell you," and I was like, "What?" and she's like, "Carl's living with me," and I'm like, "That was just set me the fuck off because this is the dude that didn't you know want us around because, yep. you know, we were cock blocking and he hated us of being around and. My mother always would say, you know, now she says, I'm so sorry that I treat him over my kids. And to let this dude move into the apartment that I got her,
2: Yeah,
1: I just fucking lost my shit. And uh, and we had it out. And I was like, you never fucking... Like, she didn't know that we were fucking sexually molested, none of that shit. And I just told her the whole shit and I will fucking... You know, then she said, your father raped me. And, and she, you know, at the same moment, she Damn. said, your father raped me twice. You know, I never planned to have you or your younger brother. I only planned to have he and I left him and he broke in and the cops wouldn't do anything because we were legally still married. And he was this boxer icon, dude, in Queens. And they were like, how can he be raping you? He's your husband and blah, blah, blah. So we had, and then we just literally, I swear to God, it was like three minutes. You know, we just sat on the phone sobbing, not, not a word spoken. Yeah. And we've been uh, tight ever since then. Right, right, And then my mother said, why didn't you tell me what they were doing to you to my older brother? And my older brother goes, that never happened. And, and, right. and then, uh, she asked my younger brother, and he broke down crying and was like, yeah, they did that to us.
0: Yeah, Well, and your older brother might, might not have remembered, you know?
1: No, he remembers, dude. Okay, he's Well, you know fucking, the repressed memory thing. He's is... the tough guy, dude. Right,
2: yeah. right. Yeah. And
1: then she went back, and she called me and says, you know, he said that that never happened. I'm like, ma, I swear on my soul, on Krishna's light, I'm on everything that means anything to me. Those dudes in that home were doing that shit to us. And then she went back and told him, and then he was like, I don't want to talk about it. Right. So, right, right, right. you know, that, that, uh, you know, but everything else, like I said in the book, everything else we joked about and, and the scamming that we did as kids in the home and how we survived it. But that's the topic that's off limits. That's what nobody talks about is yep. what they do. You know the the other harm that they did to us. Did you change? You
0: know, it, did you change the names of like the family of the Valentis, or did you change those names? Or are those nah, the real
1: that's names? That's their real fucking name. That's their
0: real fucking name. I didn't change shit.
1: You know, fit them. You know, here's yeah. the whole thing. Like, if you went to them wherever the fuck they are and said, they will swear on a stack of Bibles that they were the best people in the world to us. Yeah. Meanwhile. The six and something years we were there, we were never allowed to even go in the refrigerator once. We were beaten constantly. We slept in the fucking garage. Uh, we got hand me down clothes. Yeah, And and then all the other shit. Fed fucking Oreo spit sandwiches and then having to steal the fucking dog's food to, to, to eat. Jeez. You know, yeah. I mean, this is how twisted people could make Shit, you know? No, I didn't change their fucking names. Fuck those people. I'll fucking confront that. As a matter of fact, if you read the new version, I went back out to the house and fucking confronted them. Yeah. That's the fucking, that's that's the afterword, was I needed closure on that shit. Sure. And I went to do a reading in Looney Tunes and, and I asked the lady who was that was helping us out. I said, I want to stop at that house and just look at it. But I hadn't been there since I was a kid.
0: What did you feel when you were there?
1: You know, I didn't expect that they were still going to be there. Uh, and the old across the street, I remembered him because he was from Italy. And, and when I got out of the car, I was like, who is in that house over there? over there? Yeah the Valentis, and he's like, yeah, you know, Rose and uh, daughter and friend And then I was like, Olive's one of the kids in there, uh, one of the foster kids back in the 60s and 70s. I'm the one that got that house closed down. And then he looked at me, and he dropped the fucking garden hose that he was watering his lawn with and ran to his house and came out. Oh my God. And then I went and knocked on the fucking door, and the rest is in the book what I said to her. There you they go. tried to, she fucking almost had a heart attack that I showed up that day out of nowhere. You know, like, and and then the daughter tried to, to invite me in. I was like, what the fuck makes you think I want to come in that house? Do you think I have, you know, I have good memories of what you people did to us? Like, do you honestly think you were fucking good to us? And then I just said, I walked the fuck away and left them with their fucking jaws hanging open. You know, but that was, uh, I guess you know, there's five parts of story design: there's, there's the inciting incident, progressive complications, the crisis, the climax, and the resolution. And right.
0: that now you're at the fifth. Like
1: I'm writing this for the screen now. This whole movie, I'm adapting it. Oh yeah, that's been my passion project. That's gonna happen. And and, and, and yeah, I'm I'm working on it. You know, director lined up, and uh, you know, so. Just, uh, been working on it for
0: years now. You know, it's one of those things they say, you know, you know, um, truth is stranger than fiction. That's one of those stories. Like no wonder nobody thought like people thought you made that shit up because it's so insane. I mean, it's from, from every aspect of it is insane. Even up till now, like even some of the things you've gone through in the last five years, which I'd like to talk about too, like, you know, with your ex band member, like, coming into your show with a fucking knife. Like, even that well, shit is crazy, explain. you know?
1: Listen, man, let me explain all that shit to you because I just, that motherfucker's been going on the whole fucking media thing with his fucking book and telling people he came in there with his base to squash the, that's all fucking bullshit, okay? Yeah. First of all, he asked if he could come up prior to that show and play a couple of songs with us. And we were like, yo, all you do is talk shit online. Hell fucking no. Right. So he had a fucking CBGB's laminate for the CBGB's festival and he spoke on a panel with Steve Blush. okay, for his American hardcore thing. So he was, his girlfriend left him like fucking a, like a week earlier, he was bugging out from that. He was on fucking drugs. And he was telling Steve Blush, who Steve Blush admitted it to other people, that he was saying, I'm going over there and putting an end to that shit and all this bullshit. And then he comes over there, uh, sneaks in and lurks outside of our dressing room, and the motherfucker had a knife. Not some little pocket knife like what he's telling people in his fucking book and all this shit. So they called him in the... We were down on stage. I told those dudes, let the fucking bouncers just take him out. He's not supposed to be in here because I didn't want to ruin the show right? and have a whole big incident. I mean, look, I knew the motherfucker was in there. I know he, he can't fight with his hands and that he has a weapon. I had a fucking piece of pipe right by fucking Craig's base. If he would have made it to the stage, which was his intention, to cause a big standoff and ruin the show, he would have got a pipe across his fucking rotten teeth knocked out of his mouth if you come to me trying to do some bullshit to me all this talk on the fucking internet that this dude does is fucking garbage yeah because he is nothing but a fucking liar and what happened was they called him into the dressing room and tried to take the fucking knife off of him and that's when the fucking melee started because he resisted and they punched him and then you know, whatever, he did somebody and ran out holding the knife and the bouncers tackled him and he cut his fucking knee. Now, the media, blow, you know, this was his big comeback story. How, yeah. You know, it's a whole fucking chapter. He's writing his fucking book about it. It's total fucking bullshit. He knew he wasn't welcome there. You don't come to the fucking show. And listen, starting in 87, he robbed all the tour money. That's why I quit before Best Wishes. Me and him started the band. It's yeah, of course. In my in my new book, okay. He didn't come up with the name Mugger from Black Flag did, and me and him started the band in fucking eighty one in August. And the timelines in there verified by the big takeover stanzine, okay, by Jack Rabbit, original singer John Bl- John Skinhead, which is what Jack called me, and he robbed the money in eighty seven. Come back. I quit before best wishes. Come back in 1991. I go do a tour. He robs all the tour money. And then I come home. I had quit my business that I had. The bike messenger business, legit business. And Central Media wanted to sign us off the tour. What does he do? Acts like an asshole in the studio to everybody, saying, We're giving, everyone's giving their publishing to my charity, otherwise signing in the letter of resignation and all this shit. And he steals $15,000 out of the band's bank account. This is the real history. And then from there, when I go to do the next band uh with Roadrunner, they're like, well, you have to get a release. We need a release from Century Media. I go to Century Media they're like, Harley sign you as an individual artist. I'm like, what? They're like, okay, we just spent two hundred thousand dollars, which Harley stole a, lot, a fucking a whack of that money. Two hundred thousand dollars, uh, Jesus! Yeah, they they spent two hundred thousand, uh, like a hundred on on and eighty thousand on on and and uh, you know, recordings like advance. Shit was expensive back yeah, then. Sure, like the budget. So now he finally put his aunt Denise in charge of the fucking bank account. This motherfucker comes back on He... I, w- I did 42 shows as the singer of the Crobags on that tour in 1991. He promised me 100 a show. I was supposed to come back with $4,200. You know what he gave me at the end of the tour? 700 fucking dollars. And every show was sold out. And they waited until the morning I was leaving to go to the airport to tell me the tour lost money. Mark from MAD. They were in cahoots. Harvey's yeah. ex-girlfriend told me the whole fucking story. And which I knew. So then uh, he mixes our voices together on Alpha Omega. I wrote fucking 90% of the lyrics on that album. Then he tells me I didn't write nothing on the album. Uh, he steals fucking over $15,000, which Century Media will tell you that, that he took the money. Uh, and then uh, I honor the contract, they said, look, we'll give you a release. If you tour Alpha Omega in the States... The tracks had already recorded, put vocals on them. That that was near death experience. I didn't write that shit. I wouldn't write music like that. Yeah. So I finished the fucking vocals on the record of the songs that they gave me. I I honored the agreement to get out of my contract, which was that he got me involved in, which was go to Europe and tour the states. That's what I did. Now he's in. San Francisco in California, shooting heroin with the band's money, calling my house saying, motherfucker, you don't take porn as the Cro-Mags, I'm ratting you out for everything you ever did. I, and I told him, dude, that would be the biggest fucking mistake you ever fucking made in your life if you do that. Kept his word, 95 95- uh, uh, right after St. Paddy's Day, he goes to the ninth precinct and snitches on me for being a for all this other shit. Wow. The motherfucker tried to put me in federal fucking prison, and that's what he said he was gonna do. I'm gonna put you in prison, so you ain't gonna see the light of day for fucking twenty years. So he goes. So then, all of a sudden, I get this fucking call um, from my brother. He's like, "Yo, Five O just knocked the fucking door down looking for you." Right, I'm like what, and then I get a a beep while I'm on the phone. Call back to Captain McGroan, Ninth Precinct. I'm like what? He's like, is this John J. McGowan? And I'm like, these motherfuckers, man. And 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 he goes exact words verbatim. Do you know a Harley Flanagan and Paris Mitchell-Mayu? They went to the precinct and filed bogus charges and Harley told them every fucking thing I ever did all this shit, which I won't repeat. Right. And, uh, I said, well, listen, I know, you know, I'm well. I'm going to go down and deal with my military case. Uh, and then I'll be back up to face this bullshit. So wow. I go down to DC ready. To, uh, we hired a lawyer. The scene did a benefit for me. Now, Harley is hiding, calls up Jimmy Gestapo. First, he's denying that he fucking ratted me. He still denies that he ratted me out. Ask Jimmy. Jimmy had him on tape. He called Jimmy's house and says, yo, I had to go to the cops on that dude, man. Like, right. And made it look like he told the cops I called his grandmother's house and threat. that's what he was telling the scene. That I started threatening his whole family and all this shit. Total bullshit. And then 2000, you know, he hides out for two years and then I catch him in like 98, 99, whatever. I fucking bang him out in CBs, one shot. Good night, Irene. And then in 2000, uh, I was doing, you know, delivering pop and, like his girlfriend was working at Electric Ladyland, and I didn't know it was his girlfriend. The second time I go back, he steps out from behind the wall, and I'm like, "Yo, yeah, what the fuck is this?" Thinking it was a setup, I was ready to just start fucking throwing. He yeah. said, "Yo, yeah, 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 I just want to talk to you," and uh, you know. So he the fucking beep. I was like, "Yo, I'm sorry for fucking punching you." And his exact words—now I'm telling you the real fucking story. His yeah. exact words were. I deserved it, and I deserved a lot worse for everything I've done to you. And let me tell you something. You go and try to put a motherfucker in prison and snitch the way he did on me, motherfuckers like that disappear, okay? <laughs> yeah. you, don't, you don't rat. You know, stop glorifying rats. When does a rat get a pass on the punk hardcore scene? He's That's done right. it several times. He snitched on several fucking people. And he and, and that's the for me, he had no money. His girlfriend was pregnant working as a secretary. And I said, he goes, you know, I go, he goes, you can do some cool shows. I said, All oh, like, right, man, I come back to the band. So within a month, I had the agency group. I, like everybody works for me because I don't burn bridges and I'm not a scumbag. Right. So I booked. A month worth of shows, he's got $7,000 cash in his pocket. Meanwhile, he's got a whole premeditated plan, which I knew nothing of, which he told G-Man, the drummer, and, and AJ DiBella, who's been in the Pro Max in 92, that he's only playing with me uh, to get back in the good graces of the scene because nobody likes him. And the minute everything's cool, He's firing me and walking away with all the musicians that I hired and fuck him. And, and, and then guys are like, yo, why are you going to do that? Just do both fans, do Harley's war and the Chrome eggs. He's like, nah, fuck that. Fuck that dude. So they weren't telling me this. So then we go up to play Hellfest, and he goes up with a baseball bat. And on the way up there, when we pull up to his house, he's beating his pregnant girlfriend, saying, I'm going to beat you into a fucking miscarriage. Gets in the fucking van. And and, and and then as we're driving up, the driver goes, yo, man, it's really great to see that you and John, you know, squash the beef and all this. And he's in the back seat all the way in the back, and he goes, yo, fuck that motherfucker. The beef ain't over. I'm just here for the paycheck. And I turn around and go, the beef ain't over, motherfucker. How about I jump over this seat and fucking beat the shit out of you for everything you fucking did to me? robbing me all these times of everything and snitching on me and everything else so he gets up to help us he starts walking around this is all fact dude threatening everybody with a baseball bat because he had that beef with earth crisis and they were from syracuse yeah we were playing with sure i don't i know nothing of it i get on stage and the mother was at that show by the way Dude, the fucking riot police were behind us. You saw that yeah. shit, right? And I'm like, yo, what the fuck is this? And Steve Reddy comes up and goes, Harley's been threatening everybody and talking shit to everybody. They're going to storm the stage and fuck you guys up. And then Steve holding them down, and then Harley on the mic was like, fuck you, you could suck my dick while you, while I make you drink a beer and watch you let your girl suck my All oh, the ass Fuck this mic. I was like, hey, shut the fuck up. We get off stage. They, the courage crew comes up to me. They're like, yo, we got respect for you, but we're going to fucking jump that dude. I go, I'm going to fucking take his back. I can't come up here with this motherfucker. Even though he deserves it, I can't let all y'all motherfuckers jump him. Yeah. So they said, how about if we send one dude out to fight him? And that's what they did. And Holly pitched up and went and fight the guy, gets in the van. Well, going back, he's like, that's it. The band's over. I'm like, the band ain't over, dude. My boy just put $25,000 on fucking credit cards to go to Japan and Australia that you said you were going to do the tour. He goes, we'll get somebody else to fucking uh, play bass and just give me a cut of the merch. So then he calls me back and goes, uh, yo, fuck that. I'm doing the tour. And I was like, you sure? And he goes, yeah, I'm doing this tour. Then I get a call from G-Man, the black gentleman that's playing with a now, who I have no respect for because he called G-Man a dirty nigga for telling me the the story. G-Man calls me up and goes, yo, I got to tell you, man, I can't let Harley do this shit to you. I've seen you've been a brother to everybody. You've been straight up. You pay everybody. You don't have to worry about getting ripped off like we do with him. He's not planning on going, he's going to tell you, because we would only rehearse two days before the tour, and we knew this shit. And uh, he's like, he's going to tell you right before, so that you can't get in on the bass player. So I got Franklin, I called up Franklin from Shelter, and I was like, flew yeah. down to New York and roast. Sure enough, this motherfucker calls me out two days, he's like, yo. I just want you to know, asshole, I'm not going. I said, Yeah, asshole, I fucking knew that. And I know Harley's a fucking irresponsible and unreliable. That's why I got me a Kawasaki. Franklin's <laughs> still it to you. And fuck you.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> and then he starts calling all the promoters saying he's gonna fucking sue them if we come over there and play. So I had to squash all that. And that is why I said I will never fucking walk on stage with that dude again because he's full of shit. And so, wait—the last decision. time you were on
0: stage with with Harley was Hellfest, the show I saw.
1: Yep, that's the that last was show. It. That's crazy. That that's wild. Wow. And I said, "This, yo, when he said the beef ain't over, I'm here for the paycheck. After I forgave him for all the shit he did to me, yeah, yo, that dude is a fucking scumbag, and it ain't just me, you." You know, he's putting this book out of lies and bullshit. Half the book is, like, trying to diss me, like, on all kinds of shit that is just total bullshit to make his case seem valid. And if you want to believe so, fiction, because the only one that... He even tried to say Doug's the one who took the money in Paris uh, back in that 87 show at the end of that tour. And Doug went on social media and said, Bullshit, motherfucker, you took all that money... You only gave me a little bit of it. And mm-hmm. and Paris, too. Like, right. you know, so the only one who even accepts the version of, of reality, uh, of this dude's reality, is himself. Everybody else is like, that shit's that's not the way shit went down. Right. But, you know, he's going on this ca- campaign, like, we fucking screw, screwing him over and, you know, uh, we betrayed him, you know, it's saying uh, in his book title, like, betrayed his. It's like, dude, you know why Paris quit playing with him after, after Paul was playing with him? Because every day that Harley, uh, Paris went off the tour bus, he was the tour manager holding all the money. Harley would go under his mattress and steal money. And the opening band, you could ask Paris, ask fucking Paris. Paris told me, I squashed all the shit with Paris. He even mm-hmm. told me, yeah, it was Harley's idea. You go, I, yeah, I know all of that. Wow. And, and and the opening band comes up to Paris and goes, yo, we're not trying, this is right out of Paris' mouth. We're not trying to start no shit. But every day you go off the floor, but Harley and his girlfriend go under your mattress and fucking steal money. So Paris goes up to him and goes, why are you taking the money? It's your money. Just ask me for it. And you know what he says, Paris? Motherfucker, I just wanted you to know that I could take it if I wanted to. And then they get in the fight with Earth Crisis, and when they start getting their ass kicked, Harley runs away and leaves Paris to get beat down and left in a hospital in, like, Eastern Bloc countries. That's when Paris was like, that's it. I'm done playing with this dude." Right. So listen, wow! don't believe what the fuck you hear, you know, everybody was coming up to me and going, you don't need this motherfucker in the band, you guys are positive, keep going, we will support the band without him in it, you should have never let him back in the band, and you should have just kept doing what you were doing, you don't need him, all the shows we did, he was like threatening little kids, like, the next motherfuckers that come on stage I'm gonna take their teeth, I'm gonna hit you in the face with my fucking bass and take your teeth off. Like just being a rude wreck to all the fucking fans coming to see the coming to see the band at posse numbers, all these festivals, ask the kids that were there.
2: Yeah.
1: He was starting shit with everybody. He's he's got a Napoleon complex. He's fucking, you know, five five, Mr. Fucking Jiu Jitsu. Nigga please. Like <laughs> You know what I'm saying, Uh dude? Real fighters don't got to brag all the time that they're fighters and wear fighting shirts and all this bullshit. And that's why I wanted, you know, I clear the air of this bullshit because this dude's just making up fucking lies. And and now with social media, I never respond. You don't see me talking any shit on social media. I don't use it for that. I use it for positivity to help people and get out what I'm doing, uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. But this dude's on a fucking campaign of lies and bullshit. He does it every 10 years. He'll resurface like a fucking war and talk shit. Now he has a book out, and he, it's just a bunch of fucking... Yeah, okay, I get it. You were very cool as a fucking kid, and he, and he was. We were brothers. I looked out for that motherfucker. When he had a swatstick, a fucking tattoo... And he was beating up gays and made it on the cover of a K magazine, Gentlemen Beware of These Skinheads. And it was Harley and Eric. And they took a contract out on them with the hitmen who were the same dudes that I fought against and beat oh and upstabbed. And they fucking were out. They had a KOS on me, kill on sight. Okay, the bad brain squashed that shit. They had respect for me. So they, because I was the only one that fought them at 171 back at the end of 8081. These boys all of them were getting smacked around. Nobody would fight them. I fought them by myself with a chain. They gave me respect for that. That's what you learn on the streets of New York and being locked up. Even yeah. if you lose, you fight. So they came up to me with Harley's picture. This is a fucking fact and said, "Look, we're only doing this out of respect for you cuz we got respect for you." They put a contract, that they paid us to fuck this dude up. And when the hitmen take a contract, it ain't it ain't to punch you in the face. It's some real shit. Yeah. And they said only out of respect for you are we telling you this right now. The same dude that I knocked out that later family, me. He goes, This dude's in your band. Tell him he has one chance. If he fucking chills out and never fucking beats up another one of these gay guys, we're gonna leave him alone. I told Harley, I go, dude, they have they're fucking trying to hire motherfuckers to fuck you up, bro. That's when Harley took off all his skinhead shit, started wearing sneakers and grew his hair out. So you no know, he's been protecting that motherfucker since he was I just had to pick him up from school. And walk him home because the Puerto Ricans would kick his ass. So, this yeah. is, I, I've been a brother, a big brother to this kid, and every fucking opportunity he had, like the song Don't Tread on Me says, thought things were cool, guess I was a fool. Every chance that he had to fuck me over, he did. Okay? So, that's why I said, when he goes to beef, ain't over, I'm here for the paycheck. That's when I was like, that's yeah. it. Well, and we got offered like a, a, a few years back 50,000 euros just for me, him, and Mackie. They didn't even give a fuck about Paris. or Doug was an afterthought anyway. But they only wanted us three. And and AJ could, and AJ could play guitar.
0: What festival said, was that? I hell
1: fucking no. Huh?
0: What festival was that?
1: I forget, but it was, yeah. there was a couple of festivals being offered. Yeah. And that's how, when he says we're doing it for the money, let me tell you something. Just this year alone, five shows in a row were fucking benefit concerts for people. We ain't doing it for the fucking money. Uh, like, listen, we go out, we don't fucking charge 5,000, and all this fucking money to these, to these people. It's like, You know, we pay... You ask anybody that's in this band now. We pay everybody very well. We stay at great hotels. It's not to make money. I got a $200,000 fucking advance for my last book. I'm not doing this shit to make money. It's because it's fun. It's traveling with people that I enjoy being in a band with and having fun and handing the mic off to the kids and letting them come up and meeting people and playing these songs off Age of Quarrel and Crush to the Maniac because I wrote Crush to the Maniac, and that's why we do what we do, and it's for fun. I have sure. another band. I just got. A, I just got a, a fucking record deal for Metal Blade for Blood Clot. Nice. Like you know, it, it's like so. If you don't believe the bullshit that's being put out there on the fucking social media and the internet by this dude, one minute he's telling us off, the next minute he's like, I'm down to do a reunion. It's like, motherfucker, nobody wants to do a a, a reunion. And all of our shows sell out. We just did a whole run down south, like five or six shows. Everyone sold out. We did California. Every show fucking sold out. Canada sold out. We go to Europe. Clubs are packed. Listen, if 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 we were really doing what he said we were doing, and motherfuckers didn't really think like, you know who's in the right and who's in the wrong, sure, they wouldn't come to our show. The fact of the matter is, once he quit, we didn't let him back in the band. When he quit after this shit, easy friend, no problem. Okay, see you later.
0: Yeah. Well, and when...
1: that's and that's what's up with that.
0: Yeah. Well, another thing you're doing. Uh, you know, talking about things for fun, uh, the soft tours that you're doing, um, yeah. like a walking tour basically in in lower Manhattan, right? I mean, talking about yeah. the, the old days, telling stories. I mean, you're definitely a storyteller. Uh, tell me a little bit about well, that, well, how that came about, well, and, and well, how, yeah. how, you're, and how mean, much you're doing know, that. Yeah, keep,
1: keep, if I wrote in my book, I would like to give people a real tour of New York because now you're exposed. All you get now is like, you know, like gentrification.
2: Right, of course. So like, yeah.
1: If you read my book where I, I said I'd have to get the clear bank tower from hell, Jake was like, that's a great idea. What would you do? And I told him, and he's like, all right, let's do it. That was five years ago. And you know, it's funny because you know everything I do. That dude Harley tries to shit on and be like whatever. Meanwhile, it's like it's a tour about crime. It's a tour about music. It's a tour about art. It's a tour about all kinds of shit. And I got on the Today Show, like it, like I got voted in. in Time out. This is one of the best tours in New York to learn the underground history of New York. From you're never going to hear from any everywhere anywhere else for sure. And it's three hours, and ask anybody who's taking the tour. It's fucking, it's inflammatory as fucking, and it's fun. Yeah, and you know, it's it, that's what I say. Yo, come on out and take the, to the tour, you know. And it's a lot of it is personal anecdotes of shit I've seen. And obviously, I wasn't around for, for you know out the plane days and with him in the smuggling tunnels and all that. But dude, <laughs> that the Lower East Side has so much history, and that's all I'm giving people. It's a hidden history of, of, of New York, and you're not going to get from anywhere else. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and and the tour's a lot of fun. This the fifth year. I, I'm not getting too much this year, but I just had like 40 people on the tour, like two
0: weeks ago. Cool. How often do you do them? Uh,
1: Just when I'm in town. I'm going to do a couple more. And, uh, yeah, I'm out of town a lot this year because i got the, the, the blood clot tours coming up this about yep. uh, June 14th and, and you know, the Iron Man thing. And so, if I, you know, I try to, if I'm in town, I try to do one like every other week or something like that, you know, or,
0: No, that's, that's that's awesome. I mean, talking about those old days, um, one thing that, that I thought was kind of interesting in your book was you talked about growing up in the eighties and, you know, in New York and how there were a lot of people like John Belushi, you mentioned, uh, the Beastie Boys, um, you know, Henry Rollins being, being a friend of yours. What was it like to see those guys become like just hugely, hugely successful when, you know, you were still kind of like in the trenches,
1: you know what? I give them all credit. I'm never a hater. I'm, I'm never envious. Like, and those guys worked their fucking asses off to yep. get, to get, you know, uh, my friend Patty Jenkins, uh, waited tables at Dojo. She did Monster and now she just directed Wonder Woman. It's like, you think I'm sitting there hating on my, um, uh, No, people? no, no.
0: I don't, I don't imply no, that at I'm saying all. Saying, I think, I'm, I'm I think not, like it's, a it's a
1: rhetorical it's... question. I'm just saying. Yeah. I don't care because I know if I work hard, my shit's going to come in too. And they worked hard and I'm happy. I, I revel in their success. You know, I'm like, wow, man, Henry, good for him. Ian sold millions of fucking records. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, they say that, you can tell who your friends are when you're down and out. No, no, motherfucker. You could tell who your friends are when you're doing good. Because that's when the envy comes out from people that are not really in your camp. When you're successful, that's when you see who your friends are.
0: That's a very interesting point. Yeah, that, that is a good point. That is
1: because envy is the root of all evil. It ain't money. Envy huh. is a fucked up quality. And that's what a certain ex-Cromag had toward everybody else.
2: Right.
1: You know, and and that's what separates, you know, the two camps, man. It's like, I'm happy when other motherfuckers are successful. I'm like, God bless you, man. You fucking worked your ass off. Patty Jenkins waited tables at Dojo for fucking four years. Saved the money to go to fucking put herself through film school. How could I ever be like... She deserves all... And she fucking... And then she went to film school, waited tables, and and went to writing school. How could you hate um, on... Even Ben Diesel, man. His real name's Mark Benson. I know that motherfucker shit. He did his first little... He went to his first little 10-minute fucking documentary (laughs) that he made about being uh, half black, half white, and all that shit. I know... He used to come to our shows, bro.
0: Vin Diesel did when he
1: first. Vin Diesel came come to on. our, yeah, he's, He like when, when he first moved to LA. He didn't even have a place to stay. He used to come to our shows and fucking drink our beer, hit on the fucking chicks, and stay in <laughs> our
0: hotel room. That's funny. No, I didn't know but Vin like, Diesel was you a know, hardcore that's
1: kid. What's up? It's like I don't. I, I know so many people that. And then there's those that become successful and then they act like they don't know nobody. You know, like, you know, and that's that's, that's that. There's that fucking class of people too. I don't care, dude. Success is fleeting. You shit on people going up. The same motherfuckers are going to be shitting on you on your way down. So, you know, that's just reality, man. Fame is temporary and fleeting. And I never gave a fuck about that. I don't do music for the fame. I'm not trying to be famous. I do it because I love it, and, and uh, you know that's that's uh, that's why I'm still playing music. Well, you know, you getting all these guys now coming back, having their midlife crises, fucking <laughs> writing books, and fucking getting their bands back together. It's not a door. Thor- it's not a doormat that you get to fucking do that you know, I want to go bang some chicks and make a few dollars and tour a little bit, you know, uh, I'm 50-something years old, this, that, the other thing. It's like I never left the fucking scene. I've always played me. And in 88, after Harley ripped me off, and and I was like, how the fuck could my best friend in the world do that to me? And then I quit the Cro-Mags, and everything I worked for for the last, like, four years fucking fell apart. I fucking hooked up with this wealthy girl who was a drug addict, and, and I went on a drug tear for, for almost fucking two years, and, and, and I had drug deals looking to kill me. So, when I don't play music, is when I'm in trouble. <laughs> so right. I know, so, yeah. So music's music important to you, been like my that. Yeah. Since I was a kid, you know. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's the stories in your book about you know Black Sabbath being you know a huge influence, and then obviously your your friendship and and. Fandom of Bad Brains Like You know that was always To me what If you're gonna talk about t- The two bands That made the Chrome egg sound It definitely was Black Sabbath and B- Bad Brains
1: Yeah and I'm the one Who turned Harley on To Black Sabbath He, he was like That shit's hippie music I was like Nah man Listen <laughs> to what Cesar Butt was doing bro That's right And let me from Motorhead and the bullshit
0: Yeah Absolutely and man
1: it, It's like All had a much more uh, rounded uh, musical fucking library, man. You know, like I listen to a lot more different kinds of music. And, um, you know, it just, that's, you know, but listen, man, you know, it's not just about living off your past morals. And I did this about 30 years ago. And I did, this, you know, I say, what are you doing now? What are you doing now to further progress? your own consciousness to advance your own soul, to advance your own music, your career, whatever. Like, you know, okay, I acknowledge everybody. We had a great one. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Club Band's were great. It was great back in the day, but people changed. And, you know, to me, I'm like, what am I doing now? I got a new record. We got a, a, a fucking Metal Blade hooked us up immensely on this, uh, on this new fucking deal. And I'm playing with great dudes. There's no fucking, I don't have to look over my shoulder and go, really, you know, these motherfuckers is backstabbing me and this, that, the other thing. Right. And even in the climax, it's the same thing. We're family, man. Craig, Atari, fucking best bass player in fucking hardcore. And, and, and fucking, and, uh, and, 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 you know, AJ Novello has been in the band since, like I said, '92. Yep. And and Mackie's the original drummer. You know, you want to go on the American, on these hardcore, uh, fucking New York hardcore chronicles and talk about <coughs> writing up the songs. and, But Mackie gave those songs life. Without Mackie's drumming and Paris. Sure. You know? Yeah. Paris. Wrote a lot of the shit on the album, and he never gets credit. He wrote "Fucking Best Wishes." Paris don't get credit, hmm. and that's where I say, regardless of whatever happened in the past between me and him, that record, you know, never would have got made if it wasn't for fucking Paris, Mackey, me, and Harley. That's that's what made it into call. right. You know, to go on and say, "Oh, I, I wish I had different people." You wouldn't have had any. Oh, i, didn't I to it and check it. I the band. You had songs like "Kill the Ayatollah" when I fucking came back to the band after it, when I left the temple. Right. So, you know, it's like, dude, everybody made up that band, and, and you know that. Age of Wall is what it was because yeah. of the four musicians that 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 were there writing the shit. And if you would have taken out any one of the pieces for that puzzle, that record never would have came no. back the way it did. You know, and, and, and you know we got hustled and scammed by the fucking manager. You know,
2: right?
1: And, and I've never received a check to this day off that fucking record. Really, <laughs> never, nothing. Yeah, never, not even a fucking dime. Not one fucking dime. That's crazy. And you know what? Anybody that says we didn't pay our fucking dues, man, fuck you. Nobody said that. We were out there fucking playing arenas with Motorhead and all these fucking bands and selling out clubs, and I was having to come back and live in a fucking squat because the manager was taking all the money, and he had the fucking goods on me. He knew I was able. As a matter of fact, you know, when I caught that he signed our merchandise contract and forged our names with Winterland, I was like, I seen it on his desk. I was like, Yo, what the fuck is this? He's like, yes. What are you doing in my office, Chris Williamson from Rock Hotel? And he go, I said, Motherfucker, you forged my name on that shit. And he's like, And then we got into it. He's like, I'm getting you out of the band. I was like, You can't get me out of the band. I said oh I'm the God. fucking singer. He, he, <laughs> He goes, watch. And that's when he started putting all this ego shit into Harley's head. You're the star of the band. And blah, 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 blah. And all this bullshit. And the motherfuckers went for it. And that's why I was battling. I was the only one battling that fucking manager, man. Those dudes fucking sided with him. And that's why when Harley stole the money at the end of the 87 tour, I was like, I don't need to be dealing with this shit. Right. And I fucking quit.
0: Well that's crazy that I mean, but, I mean, it does it blow your mind the age of quarrel is thirty years old? Thirty one years I, old, whatever it is. Does that blow your mind? Yeah. It's been thirty years.
1: Yeah, we just you know, that's all I say. You know, we're just out there, we just play the songs. The music don't belong to any individual.
0: The music belongs to the world. Absolutely, and I, I totally agree with that. But does, doesn't it blow your mind thirty years away and there's still kids that are like you know, in their teens that are rocking out to this music? Like, the the record you made is timeless.
1: Yeah. Well, because the subject matter was timeless, and we spent years working on them songs before we recorded them. We spent years playing them songs before me and Harris paid for that original demo, the Age of Quarles demo tape. Yeah. The Age of was a cassette first, and we paid... There's a, another demo before that that we did at um, at Don Fury's. and me and Paris paid for that. And me and Paris paid for that H. Accord tape that motherfuckers are selling for like a thousand dollars now. That <they're>
2: black cassette
1: <laughs> yeah. tape, right? And you know, it's like, let's get the reality straight, man. You know, like, sure, I was working as a bike messenger, paying for fucking rehearsals and everything else, like. You know, when everybody else was broke, me and Paris were footing the bill for the fucking band. You know, I always give Paris credit. Uh, do I like personally? I mean, I forgave him to clear my conscience, just like I forgave Harley. I got no beef with that motherfucker. Man. I don't give a fuck about him. Like, you know, if he steps in my space, then you're going to see who's who. Uh, you know, but I don't have no beef with Paris either. Yep. And, uh, you know, I always say, listen, man, give that dude credit, you know? And as a matter of fact, even when we did Alpha Omega, like, you know, I was cool with Paris and, then you know, he's like, he's like, what are you guys recording? When he's seeing me on the street? Well, I don't know how he got this tape with all these, and he's like, what tape? What did it sound like? And I hummed him like fucking, uh, Apocalypse Now and Paris was like, that's my music. So Harley took an old rehearsal tape of all shit that Paris wrote and and put it on Alpha Omega, like mm-hmm. Rob Paris's music. Dude, it's like the shit has just never stopped with that dude, man. And that's yeah. why, you know, putting out the book and, and, and doing these few shows yeah. that we do once in a while, you know, it's. We don't have no beef with nobody, man. We never have problems at any of our shows, and, and uh, you know, that's the way we roll. Yeah. And no.
2: you well. know, the
1: book is just the book is the book, man. It stands on its own. That's a piece of literature, man. That's not like you know uh, that that book's gonna stand the test of time, too. That's my word, just because it captures the time in New York, is it, you know that memorize, totally. Uh,
0: Totally, uh-huh. and that subculture that that doesn't exist anymore. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, the danger of yeah. of underground music is there's there's no real danger anymore, like there was. Yeah,
1: it's it's been homogenized, you yeah. know, and and, and and watered down for U.S. consumption. Now even the fucking rednecks have Mohawks. You know, <laughs> so so you know, back when we were fucking rocking shit. In 1977, going in axes and fucking getting beat up. And then, you know, being on the Lower East Side uh, way back when, you know, this shit was fuck was wild.
0: Yeah, no, it's... The book is amazing. Um, I'm going to reread the, uh, the new updated version that just came out. Everybody should check it out as well. I'll make sure I put cool. a link in here for everybody to, to go pick it up either. There's an audio audio uh, book version of it too, right?
1: Yeah. He had a show. It's 19 hours. And then my, somebody just said to me, yo, was that you fucking doing all the voices? I was like, yeah, motherfucker, that's me. He's like, holy shit. Damn. You know, I got into character like of each.
0: Wow. That's character. cool. That's cool. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, there was moments where the engineer would just start cracking the fuck up behind me, and, and we'd have to do the takeover, because he's like, yo, man, this shit's quit. fucking great.
0: Damn, 19 hours, yeah. that's, a lot, that's a lot of work. Damn. Yeah, not, well,
1: I didn't do it all that. that's, It was like broken up into, you know. Right, of, co- oh, no, of I course. I think I did. Of course. Yeah, you know, like, 40s, and then, you know, and then there was parts. We had to go back and re-edit. Uh, back sure,
0: and it, sure. So, uh, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's so. crazy, man. Well, thanks, yeah, uh, man, dude. Thanks for taking the time, man. I don't want to take up too much more of your time.
1: Yeah, um, man. Thank you, bro. Uh, I appreciate it. Absolutely. And, uh,
0: One last. i heard a story. On
1: the band. You guys are a huge success. And, oh, thanks, man. Thank uh, you. Again, you know, you guys
0: work hard. That's 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 um, why you got where you got. You know. Yeah.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate. What it. What is Silverstein if you don't mind the asking? What is it? Yeah, like is that someone's
0: name in the band? No, um, we actually got it from from the author Shel Silverstein. From you know, what the the author Shel Silverstein?
1: Oh, okay. Are you
0: familiar with him? He re- he wrote a lot of children's books, but he also had a dark side. He wrote for like Playboy for a while before he died. Yeah, and, um, I've
1: heard the name. I know. He's a musician too. Stuff.
0: Yeah, we we got the name because I when we first started practicing, I didn't have any anything to sing out of. I didn't have any lyrics. So we there was a random silverstein shell Silverstein book laying around, so I picked it up and started reading oh, it out cool. one day so that's where we got the name many it was like nice. well f- seventeen years ago for us, yeah
1: wow. see man, you kept at it, bro, yeah, dude, you know that's it. I just said that you know i i just got interviewed, and uh, I was like, yo, you know it, it it's all about mindset and and that's why like, Some people quit and some people push through, you know, and keep going, you know, you have to, you have to be determined and, you know, and just keep, keep rocking shit out.
0: Well, if any, if anybody's proof of that, it's you, man. And and good luck with the, uh, the Iron Man you have coming up. Thank you. Um, all the stuff you're doing, the book, uh, the new band, Blood clot, which uh, everybody oh. should check out as well. It's you're a busy, busy man. I got yeah, I uh, got
1: another new book on on PMA. I just finished, so that's going to be dropping soon.
0: You know, good, and good.
1: Uh, yeah, just keep keep going, man. Well, John, thank you very hey, good, much, man. Good talking to you, brother.
0: Yeah, all the best. All right, you too, peace, yeah. man. Yeah, Thanks take for care. The interview, brother. No peace. worries, man. Take care. So there it is with John. What a guy. 55 years old in Australia right now, running, uh, well, not running, swimming, biking, and running in a triathlon in Australia. An Ironman triathlon, which I looked up. It's like crazy distances. I don't even know. It's like, I want to say it's like 2.4 miles and like 160 miles on a bike or something like insane. And then you run a marathon. Just wild. So, congratulations to him for doing that doing it, you know, as a vegan, as a guy that's been vegetarian, you know, my whole life, my whole adult life, I should say, I do respect that a lot as well. Next week, we'll be back with another episode, a great episode again, too. Um, if you like hardcore, you're going to want to be subscribed for this one, too. It's a very interesting episode. And um, after that, I'm going to be on Warp Tour. So please get in touch with me. Tell me what bands on Warp Tour you want me to talk to. I mean, it's probably just as easy as going up to their bus and knocking on the door and introducing myself if I don't know them. And there's a good chance I do know them. I think I know like something like 45 of the bands that are on the tour. So uh, there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming up. Again, make sure that you're subscribed. Thank you so much, everybody. I'm going to leave you with the song that started it all from 1986's The Age of Quarrel, We Gotta Know. Here it is. On Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. See you next week. So there. Well, one thing I've been doing is talking about all the great podcasts on the Jabberjaw Network, and a lot of them are music-based, which is very, very cool. Obviously, I love music podcasts, but one of the podcasts on the show that you definitely should check out is called Too Old to Date. Too Old to Date is the first ever scripted comedy podcast to take you on a journey through the world of dating apps. Follow Mike and Brad and a huge cast of borderline hopeless daters as they deal with the highs and lows of looking for love, sex, or or just someone to tell them they have a nice face. iTunes Review has called Too Old to Date hilarious, cringeworthy, horrifyingly relatable, and a lousy waste of time by a woman who Brad met once on a dating app. So head to TooOldToDate.com or search for Too Old to Date on your favorite podcast app.